as we're reminded of those who've given their lives, the hundreds of thousands of men and women who've given their lives for us to be free. Uh, and the scripture that Jesus said was so appropriate, greater love has no man than this, that they lay down their life for his friends. You got the switcher? Can you switch it? Thank you. Remember to put your prayer request Just a reminder to fill out your slips for prayer requests, if you like. Then also, too, remember all the things we have going on for your edification tonight. There will be a prayer meeting at 5 and all the rest of the things. And then on the 26th, it's going to affect you guys gravely because we're not going to have a second service on the 26th. We have a, a on the 26th, we're going to have a guest preacher. He's going to preach the first service and then the second service we're going to have um, him giving information at 1010 about the new denomination we're looking at and going into. And, um, and then also we'd love to have you to stay behind and come and have food and fellowship with the rest of the, the first service people also. We combine one thing. And you can sign up next week for a casserole dish or a salad and meat and drinks will be provided. So just remember that. Make that note on the 26th of June. And then also, too, we have the shelves for the food for Helping Hands Ministry to, for people who need food. And then also, too, we have the change for the babies so they can get the uh, extra needed stuff, supplies that they can't afford. And then also, too, today is Memorial Day, and we give thanks to God for the brave men and women who put their lives on the line. Some were still at places like Robert Dole Hospital who have been wounded for life. And it says, in a burst of anger... I turn my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let's stand together and let's worship our God as we sing the blessing that God has given to us in America today. skies for amber waves of gray for purple mountain majesties above the footed plain America America God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good Beautiful for heroes prove 
Let's continue in our worship as we stand together, if you can, and sing with us, Jesus Messiah. He 
became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross, love so
Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is. Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord, every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise. Every praise. Every praise. Every praise. Every praise. Every praise is to our God. You may be seated. Steve, do you have the... Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise for all the blessings that you've given us as American citizens to enjoy these blessings that you provided for us. We thank you for the men and women who put their lives on the line so that could happen. And Lord, help us, Lord, as we celebrate this weekend to remember those who've done that. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful blessing that you have gone and taken us out of the darkness into the light. And that, Lord, you've also provided for this country to be blessed. And as we sit here, we know how blessed we truly are. Thank you, God, for all these blessings. And we give back just a portion to say thank you, God, for all you've done for us. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the veil. 
vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning from his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trump that shall never sound he is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With the glory in his bosom, that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. While God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching. come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all these blessings that we just shout about. And as we hear that your glory lives on. And that, Lord, in the end, when all is said and done, your judgment will come. And every man and every woman will stand before your throne. Whether great potentates or just individuals walking the streets. That we all stand before your judgment. And we give you praise as Christians, Lord. That our judgment will not be of condemnation in hell, but it will be a crown and of what we will receive as a reward for the glory that you have touched our hearts and given us salvation. We pray, Father God, that in our freedom we can use it for your glory. That we can appreciate the wonderful things that you've given to us. We appreciate and are so thankful for the men and women who put their lives on the line and have died in the process so that we can have these freedoms. We praise you also, God, too, for our government and how it was forged from the Word. We just pray that they will appreciate the freedoms that we have and contain them and keep them and use them for your glory and not for their own selfish ambitions. We pray also, too, Father God, for those who today are on different fronts, in, whether it be on our streets or out in the world and domestic, in, in foreign places, Lord, as they protect us and they care for us. We pray also, too, Father God, for our world that is 
shows us the darkness and the sin that is around us. We pray especially for the families that are in Texas today that are mourning the loss of a beautiful eight-year-old or a, a, a teacher or an aide that were killed and slaughtered in Texas school. We pray for their comfort. We pray for those in Buffalo who are still reeling from the hurt and wounds that they have. And for many places in our country, Lord, not only these big shootings, but even individual shootings that have lost children and loved ones because of the foolishness and the sinfulness of man. We just pray, Lord, that this, this ought to give us as, as a church more desire to lead men and women to Christ and away from the foolish, sinful desires of their flesh. We pray for our country. We pray for those in leadership that you will give them wisdom and the way to approach these things and deal with these things, Lord. We pray also, too, for the men and women who defend us on the streets in our own community. We pray for those who had to, um, the SWAT team that had to take somebody out this week, Lord, and for them as the traumatization of their own minds, Lord, and hearts. And pray for the family that uh, they protected and for them to understand and work with them, Lord, and get the help they need in the sad experiences of sin in our world. We pray also, too, Father God, for um, people in our midst. Uh, we think of brothers, our brother Darrell, who um, is uh, recovering from a quadruple bypass. We pray for Fawn's mom, who is making an adjustment for now having to get um, therapy for her kidneys and going through dialysis. We pray also, too, Father God, for the Johnson family who lost Arb this week, and I pray for the wisdom to words to say to comfort that family in their loss. I pray also, too, Father, for others in our church that are going through difficult times. I think of Mike Landenbach, who um, had this uh, brain bleed, Lord. We pray for healing for him and to restore his body fully. We pray for Lucille and we pray for Kay and for um, others that are shut in from our church. We pray for Joyce and her family and, and the dealing with the, the situation with their, her grandchild, great-grandchild. We pray also, too, Lord, for um, a, um, those who are battling addiction, the constant a monkey on their back. Pray for Ryan and Jordan. I pray for um, David. Pray for um, Eric and Ricky. I pray for these folks that uh, you will help them and they will see you, Christ, and their need for Christ. I pray for marriages that are struggling, Lord, and the difficulties that are going on with them, that they can find the root of the problem and they can heal it, Lord, and be forgiven and given strength to move forward with Christ as the center of their home. I pray also, too, Father God, as we come here now with your word, Lord, speak to our hearts to hear what we need to hear. And that, Lord, we understand what you're saying to us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Our society, and Western society especially, is wrapped up in courtroom entertainment. We see it all through the world. We've talked about it throughout the ages. The Lindbergh trial. O.J. Simpson. We see it about the Jody Arias trial. We see also the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard right now is the hot one. We've seen it in our own community with BTK and the Carr brothers and the justice that they deserve, they need. 
And also we've seen it on TV and sitcoms with uh, Perry Mason and Matlock. And now we have also Judge Judy Feynman, who makes millions of dollars flying across the United States to tape shows of live entertainment, really, of the courtroom. And we also see it, too, with um, the different uh, shows like Law and Order, The Bull, um, those shows that are entertaining for people, too, and have run series of long seasons but today, James is taking us into the courtroom, and what has happened is he's very surprised at what's going on with the people of the faith. If you remember, James is ministering to a group of people who are dispersed throughout all Southern Asia. They have been brutalized by the Romans, and they had to flee for their lives. Some of them had nothing. But James has taken us into the courtroom because of a theological principle that they were taken advantage of and using so that they wouldn't have to do certain things. And it was a mistake, especially in the principle of faith, because faith and practice are so important in our lives, and theology is so important. We know, for instance, the key word to the Christian life is faith. Faith, Jesus says again and again, is so important. He's had faith and believe. Do not fear, but have faith. Believe on me and I, you will have life everlasting. There is no doubt faith is the citadel point that he makes. The book of Hebrews says it's without faith that we can't please God. You cannot please God without having faith in him and in his son. We see it also in math in the gospels where Jesus talks about it even with the fig tree. And then he says if you pray believing, that's an important thing. He brings power from God. And then we also see it in the Apostles, where John says, faith is the victory. And then in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Jesus, uh, Paul says that there's no one can be saved by, nobody can be saved except by the grace of Jesus Christ, and our putting our faith on that grace that Christ has provided. In Romans, Paul says it again, you're justified by faith. So faith is an important ingredient. In fact, it is the important ingredient of our faith. But however, and I want to share here today, if anybody does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a critical thing to have faith in him. That we understand that Jesus died for your sins, and that to have freedom from that sin, that we trust Jesus Christ fully and wholeheartedly, and it's by faith, the vehicle of faith, that brings it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But now, with that relationship with Jesus Christ, James has got an issue. We find that there are people in these congregations who are using the faith and using it as cheap talk. So that they don't have to put themselves into do works. But that's never what faith was been about. James comes and is crucial. And he's talking about how faith is... And it's interesting how over the years, Martin Luther, who's the starter of the Reformation, basically, that God used, he doesn't like James. In fact, he preferred James was not put in the Bible. He calls him the straw gospel because he emphasizes works so much that there are a lot of people like Luther himself misinterpreted what he was saying. Because what James is really saying here, you have to have works in order to show that you really have the faith. 
He says it's the evidence to you really having a believing faith. But some have taken it to say James is saying you have to have works and faith. That is not true. The thing is that we have faith alone saves us. There's nothing else can save us from eternity. And that God is the propitiation for us. That means he covered over our sins through Jesus Christ. And that we are justified. That means you're declared forgiven without any sin before God even starts to work in your life by the justification by faith. And as we apply it by faith, then it works inside us and it changes us. A faith that doesn't change us, James is saying, is worthless. And what James is saying here is that you need to do works, not because to earn your way into heaven. You can't do that. It's impossible. But you need to do works in order to show the proof. In fact, Paul says this after he says you're justified by faith and that you've been created for good works. Now, they don't bring us closer to God. But what they do is they're evidence that show that we have God in our lives and that he has changed us. And if we don't believe in the faith, how could we then even believe that we are saved if we don't show the works of it? And this is where James is very upset with the people that he's dealing with. And that's why he takes them to the courtroom before God and deals with them. Because he's upset. You see, in Acts, it says to us that what happened to the apostles... They believed in Jesus Christ so much that they turned the world upside down that they were living in. And that's what our faith should do. Our faith should change the world totally. When you talk about your faith and the things that you believe in, it will turn the world upside down. People's eyes will flip. When I tell them that I, I, uh, you know, I was celibate when I was going to school, they look at you if you've got four heads. But that's what happens when Jesus is in your heart. And you truly stand and believe for what you believe in. And the Apostle James is saying that. That your works show the proof that you really have Jesus in your heart. And so he shares that with us today. And his opening argument comes. And, it, and it's an unbelievable thing that he presents to us. But this is a very real thing that was happened in his day. And it happens all the time with Christians. He says, what use is it, my brother... If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Now, is he really showing us how can a Christian claim to be a Christian if he doesn't show it in his life, in his actions? If a brother and sister, and he gives us this answer, this example that just blows us away. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing, and the word there in the Greek is nude, they're, they're basically almost nude, they don't have clothing, and in need of daily food, which is the supply of life every day, and one of them says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. I'll be praying for you. And yet does not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Is that really faith, he's saying? Is that a person whose heart's been generated by Jesus Christ and has his love and compassion in their heart that's willing to look at the situation? We got to find something to fix this. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. Being by itself. James is saying that kind of faith that says, oh, I'll pray for you, but doesn't give them a thing. That is a dead faith. It's a broken faith. It has nothing. And that James tells us here, and he illustrates us in this personal situation, 
That action is needed to show forth your faith. It doesn't change God's mind about it. That's already been changed. If you truly trusted Jesus Christ in your heart, been justified, that's already been changed. But what he's saying is, if you really have that, you will be doing this to help your brother or sister who comes to you in need. And he shows us that here. He says to him, John Calvin says it right. Listen to what he says. He says, he says, um, if I can find it here, uh, justification alone, he says, it is true that alone that justifies us. It's faith alone justifies us. But faith that is justifies can never be alone. And what he's saying there, we alone are saved by Jesus Christ and justified by him. But if you don't have this that shows it, works, then you are missing something. You're missing something because it's still in your head, but it's not in your heart. Because you have made an assertion, but you don't have it. I've run into this again and again. I have a friend that wants me to go skydiving with him. I'm, I kind of nod when he says that, and I don't have the faith in this, in, in, in one of those parachutes. I don't want to be jumping out of a plane. But he says, you know, yeah, it's great. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's great for you. And you see, because I don't have the true faith in that parachute. And, 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 and this is what James is saying to him. He is saying to him, the action is the proof. It's the evidence that we're changed people. And we see that in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus talks about the Samaritan. And the good Samaritan, here these two religious guys go sweeping right by this Jewish guy who's down in his luck, who's been beat up and robbed. And yet this Samaritan comes along and takes care of his needs. James is saying to us, we need to be that one who takes care of the need. And I know there are things in this life that we have a hard time doing. But if we have Jesus truly in our heart, we can do them anyway. Because he's empowering us. And he's given us. I remember one time I went to a, a fellow at his work. And because his wife had committed adultery on him and hadn't have, had a, a one night stand. And I went to him. And I said to him, you've got to. Who are you to say that I got to? I'm a minister of the gospel. And Jesus Christ says, through Paul in the book of Colossians, if you cannot forgive your brother or sister, how can you then expect God to forgive you? So I said to him, you've got to forgive her. Well, I'm not Jesus Christ. I said, I know that, but you got him in your heart. And so you should have that power to do that and to forgive him, forgive her. And he was angry, I, and I saw a wrench over by his hand. I'm thinking, oh, here we go. We're going to have to do a little run, rumble here. But he calmed down quickly. He said, well, I appreciate you for coming, but get out of here. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting way to say it. Well, here we are. James says it's faith that is not on trial. It's a dead faith that's on trial. If we claim to have Jesus Christ in our hearts and we are created to do good works, then we should take that action and fill that hole where that problem is. And we're there. You know, James D Dyer did a political science um, deal at Texas A&M. And he found that down on that campus, there were a lot of nominal Christians. And what he says nominal means is that they claim to have the name of Jesus as Christians on their lives. But when it comes to take an action, there's none. 
And he says that's what nominal Christianity does. It makes us seem that we don't care and that we don't really have the faith. And this is James's point. James is saying if you really have the Jesus Christ in you, which faith begins with knowledge, knowing that I, Christ has died on the cross, he rose again, he saved me from my sin, and that I acknowledge that, but then there comes a conviction in my heart that I need Christ to have the power to live like he does and have him in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit that I will feel conviction and I will do what he wants. And then also that I trust him fully. That I put my whole life into his hand and no matter what he requires of me, I'm going to do it because I trust in him and he gives me power even to forgive the worst sin that could ever be done on me. I can still forgive them. You see, it's easy to claim that we have faith. It's easy to say we believe something. But when it comes down to actually putting our faith in it, that's good. And you will find there's many nice people out there that call themselves Christians who go to church every Sunday. But my friends, do they really have saving faith? That's the question. And you see, there's a difference between intellectual assent or belief and having trusting faith in Jesus Christ. Now here's an illustration I've used before, but it's a tremendous illustration of this kind of faith. And I use it at times, and you may want to use it with your friends, because a lot of people will claim themselves to be Christian in our society of America. But when it gets down to it, they don't really trust Christ. They have a body of knowledge that they learned when they were in Sunday school, but they've never trusted their life for Christ. And it's one of my favorite illustrations I use. In fact, I used it the other day with a guy. And what it is, is I said to him, you know, look, here's the deal. He said, you grew up learning all this. You go to church. In fact, I had a woman for 70 years hear that all her life. And she never gave her life to Christ until 70 years when she called me and told me to come over to her house because she would like to receive Jesus because of what she heard on Sunday. And you see, here's the deal. There was a man by the name of Blunden at the turn of the century who was a tightrope artist. And he had, in fact, his great-grandson, I believe, did it several years ago at the Niagara Falls. He did the same thing back in 1910. And Blunden, what he did is he stretched that cable across the Niagara Falls, and then he took that thing in his hands and he walked across it, and everybody was in awe. It was a tremendous event of the century there. And then everybody was so excited. And then he said to a group on the other side, he says to them, how many believe that I can take a 200-pound wheelbarrow full of stuff and walk it across? Yeah, they were all excited because they saw him do it without that. And he, he claimed to do that. He could do that. And then he turned to the guy in the front row that was 200 pounds and said, would you get in the wheelbarrow? And the guy ran off. You see, he had the intellectual belief that London can do it. But when he had to put himself into that wheelbarrow, he didn't have the faith. He didn't have the trust. And that's what the Bible says here today. If you really have the trust in Christ and you have Christ living in your heart, then what you're going to do is you're going to help that person. You're going to stop by and give him what he needs or what she needs in order for her to continue on. 
one of the tragedies in Christianity has been the split way back starting probably about in the 30s or 40s between evangelical Christianity and classical Christian churches because they gave themselves to social gospel, which is giving food, giving clothing, which was wonderful, but never, never sharing the gospel to people about how to be saved and how to go into eternal life with Jesus. And over here, you had the evangelicals who were sharing the gospel, but they weren't giving the poor and the needy, what they needed. Now, we've seen a, a wonderful change where we've seen the Billy Graham Association, which preaches that gospel, and his son Franklin Graham's Samaritan Purse kind of joining in together, doing that. And that's what should, there should never be a separation between giving and not. It's that we give the gospel, the truth of, of Jesus Christ, and that we give them the food and the necessary, because that comes from our hearts. And you see, this is what James is speaking about. He's speaking about giving them the clothing that they need, the food that they need. And there shouldn't be a divide between each one of them. And that faith is the desire of having Jesus in our hearts to give what is necessary and to give them the truth of the gospel. And what happens is these Christians fell into this slump where they said, Oh, we believe in Jesus. But when that person comes around, we'll pray for you but they don't give them anything. James has said, that's a disconnect. That can't be true saving faith. That's a dead faith. That's what he says. Plain and simple, it's a dead faith. But then James stops and shows something else. Because these people are claiming that they're real good believers. And James builds his argument. He says, some will say, I've got faith. And some will say, I have works. And this was the problem with the church. They need both. And James comes and says, show me your faith without works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Now James is not saying we can save ourselves by doing good things. What he's saying is we are saved by Christ. But if we are saved by Christ, then we have this heart that will give and do things. And it shows itself in the way we live, the way we talk to people the way we care for people, the way we share our life with people is because they see Jesus inside of us. And James rebuts what they say and say, well, I have faith. Well, if you really have the faith, James, put up or shut up because you don't really have the truth. And say you're just using a bunch of big words that mean nothing because you don't have the true faith inside you. And then James blows them out of the waters. James is quite the attorney here because he hits them with something that comes way out of left field. They're not expecting it because look what he says to them. He says to them, you believe that God is one? You do well. He says, that's great. The demons do believe and they shudder. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're telling me that the demons and the devil believe in God more than us because they know who God really is and they shudder. They're scared to death of God. And what he's saying here, do you, don't, you say you believe. Well, the demons believe better than you do because they shudder and they're scared to death of the work that God can do. That knocks them for a loop. And demons do believe in, in, in Jesus Christ. 
They believe a lot about him. They don't trust him for their salvation. They can't. But they do believe. They believe him so much that they're scared to death and they shudder when the name is named. And James is saying, hey, it's great to have a faith that you believe in, but do you believe like the demons do? Are you kidding me? Do you shudder when you hear God's name and think about all the things he can do? James has really put it to them. And they're scared. And James is saying to them, you see, it's easy to believe. <laughs> easy believism is easy. But true faith is something else. But are you willing to recognize that you're foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? If you can go all around talking about how great your faith is, but if you don't do anything to those in need, if you don't do anything to situations that are bad, if you don't do anything, do you really have Jesus Christ in your heart? You see, the demons believe in God. They even try to mimic what he does. They even try to show their God. But here he says, it's all headshot. But do you really have the faith that has changed your heart? I've seen good Christian people, quote, good Christian people, faith-believing people, who've done such horrible things to other Christians. Sandy and I have had experience at sometimes where Christians who claim to be Christians but lie and cheat us. I had a car one time, a guy who was claimed to be this elder of this big church and loved the Lord and everything, and he sold us a lemon. And he lied about the car. And it cost us twice as much as what the car cost to get it fixed. And he didn't want to know us after that. I've seen, I was with a pastor and his wife not too long ago. Now these wonderful Bible-believing church members tried to destroy his reputation and hurt him and tried to and finally he came to the point where he was close enough that he resigned and the aftermath of it his children have been affected who loved the Lord but now are hesitant about a church hesitant about Christ how could people who claim to have Jesus in their heart to treat their father and to demean their father how hurtful that was. And these are good. You see, David knew that. <laughs> Some of you who know this, David said in one of his Psalms, Psalm 55, he says, it's not my enemy that is the problem. <laughs> he says, it's you who I go to the temple with that's the problem. And they're well-meaning Christians who think they're doing God's work by railroading some pastors. And it's tragic. Very tragic. Sandy and I, our first church was a very difficult church. And they believed that they were giving me a hard time and, and roughing me up. And were hoping that I'd leave because I was too much about this Jesus business and accepting and being born again. And so that <clears throat> changed a lot. But God got us through that. You see here, James is saying, you see, you're claiming this faith, but you got demonic faith because you believe just like the demons. But you don't have a faith that's trusting God. 
Because otherwise your actions would be different. Then Jesus, then James comes to us with the second exhibit. He talks about faith from Abraham's point of view. And Abraham was not a perfect individual. Abraham had his problems with faith, but there were several episodes where he was, had tremendous faith. When God called him out of Ur Chaldees and picked up his family and left his homeland to go to a place that God didn't even tell him where he was going, to go and leave, and he would show him where he would go. He, by faith, trusted God. But here now, James <clears throat> gives us this exhibit of Abraham. What about his son? It says, Was not James our father justified by works? When he offered up his son, I offered up Isaac his son on the altar. You see, that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, as he was called the friend of God. You see, a man is justified by works and not faith alone. And here, what James is showing us, here Abraham is told by God, Take your one and only son and take him up to Mount Moriah and there sacrifice him to me. Here, James is showing us that Abraham, even though he didn't understand God, trusted God and had faith in God that God would work it out. In fact, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, he says to the guy that's helping him get to Mount Moriah, he says to him, God will provide a lamb and we will return. Now we don't know what James thought in his mind that, that he was going to sacrifice Isaac and that God was going to resurrect him or that God had a different plan. He was just testing and that's what he did. He tested Abraham to take his one and only son like Jesus was with God and put him on the altar. And as he raised his fist up with the, the knife in his hand to slay his son, God said to him, stop. Because you see, he passed the test of faith. And he didn't murder his son. But instead, God provided a lamb that they could slaughter and that him and his son, as he had said earlier, would return to that servant who was holding the donkey. What a powerful message. But here, Abraham put it to work. Even though he didn't understand God, he trusted him and waited upon God. How hard that is sometimes. You know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, you know, <clears throat> my faith isn't going so great. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I do my Bible study, but I don't even feel like it. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> if you put your faith on the line, you put it out there, and you're going to be tested. And you're going to be tried. <clears throat> and your faith is going to either come really alive, or you're going to wind up giving up. And it shows you don't have faith. Because you see, when you put your faith on the line, and you put it out there, people are going to ask you questions that are hard to answer. And where do you go for those answers? Then you drives you back into the scriptures and you've got to find answers. I remember when we had the tornado down in Hayesville. I was called as a chaplain. I was on duty at the time and I had my black clergy collar on. 
And as I came down the ramp, there was a state trooper saying, oh, okay, go ahead, chaplain. He said, but be careful. Don't light any matches because there's gas out there. They, the natural gas pipes were hit, and there was still gas in the air. I don't smoke anyway. But anyway, and so here we are, and I'm walking through looking for bodies in this area and for family members who are looking for their bodies of loved ones. Because there was a lot of people missing. Nobody knew where a lot of people were. And this guy comes up to me and gets right in my face. Because I got the collar on. Where was God? I thought he was going to grab my collars. I'm going to have to. He said, where was God when this happened? Why did he allow this to happen? And just in my face. And I began to try to explain it to him. And he wasn't buying it. But it helped me to go deeper into the Word to be able to answer those kinds of questions. Because people will ask you. This past week I had three people say, Hey preacher, why did God allow those 19 children and two adults to get slaughtered in that Texas school? Why didn't he have that teacher not put that thing in front of the door so that the door would not be open? Where was God? And it's at that point you've got a tremendous opportunity to share with them the fallenness of our world and how man is sinful. And there's a curse over this world that causes things like that to happen and that we are reminded by God that this world is not forever. And that how we need to convert people like this young man who needed Jesus and who was confused and he was angry and needs his heart changed by Jesus to love people and instead he gets angry, bounces up, gets his AR and goes in and blows these beautiful, soft target children away. It's evil. That's what it is. And we can talk to them about them and then talk to them about where they are with the Lord. You see, James nails us with this illustration of Abraham. Who truly trusted God. To the point where he took action, even to the point that he was almost going to kill his son. And yet God showed that he did have that kind of saving faith. And righteousness in his heart. And it was the very thing that validated and showed his faith. We see the same thing. James then brings out a third exhibit. And it's about Rahab. Rahab. You see the man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them by, out by another way? Here Rahab. She first listened and got the knowledge. She heard all that God was doing in, in, in the Middle East and how he was protecting Israel and how they walked through the Red Sea and how they were spared of the Egyptian and how God wiped out the army. And then, hearing that, she, by faith, trusted God. Then she puts her life and her family in jeopardy and risks them all 
to save these two spies, Joshua and Caleb, so that the walls can come tumbling down at Jericho. And she trusts them by God by faith, and they say to her, take this red cord, tell your family what's going on, and she does, and she puts the red cord, that along sometimes we, we say the red light district, well, it was the red cord out her window that was trusting God that he would protect her and her family because by faith she hid those spies so they could get the information back to Israel and they could win the battle. And it was all because of Rahab's faith. She was a harlot. She was a woman in that day. She was a, a pagan. And yet because of her faith, to trust God and put her actions where her faith was, she and her family were spared because of that. And James says, that's the kind of faith we're looking at here, folks. It's faith that just doesn't talk about it, but takes action. He says, because for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You can talk about your faith all lot, but if you don't put action to that, really, do you really believe it? Paul Harvey said it. He said, you're going to do what you really believe in. And that's what James is saying here. If you truly believe, you're going to do what God wants you to do. And that's what the message is today. That we take action. And we do what is right. In God's eyes. It's interesting, there were two guys who did a study at Princeton Theological Seminary. And they had this class for young seminary students to preach. But they always said at this class, this year, everybody's going to get a chance to preach the same sermon. And the sermon was going to be on the text of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And they all had a chance to preach the same, not the same sermon, but they had to take the text and then build their own sermons on how important it is if we have faith to take action on those we see fallen. And then what they did with each class... Each subject that was to preach, they would have a person laying down, and they didn't told that they were told not to tell their fellow classmates what happened. And they would go to the room of the classmate or find where he was, and they'd hold him up so that he didn't gonna, he was going to be late for class. And then they had this guy laying on the ground, an actor who looked like he had been beat up and dishuffled, and then as they were supposed to be at class. They were running late, and they see the guy, but they keep on running and go back to class because they got to preach the sermon on the Good Samaritan. And guess what? They passed them by, never said anything. And here they were preaching actually the text of the Good Samaritan and didn't live it. You see, this is what Christ wants from us. He wants us to have this vibrant, dynamic faith that trusts Christ for everything. And that when we see situations, when there are situations that we need to act on, that our hearts are so full of Christ that we will do those things. And that we will make the changes and help people through them. The guy who wrote a beautiful hymn, it's called um, 
No one cares like Jesus. Was at a conference. And what a wonderful thing it was they had outside at this motel is this beautiful garden of roses. And when he came in, one of his colleagues remarked to him and said, Nian, you've been outside? He says, you smell like roses. <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, I've been in the rose garden. He said, man, you've picked up that. He says, isn't that something? But for us as Christians, the Bible says we have the aroma of Christ in us. And if we've been by Christ and living for Christ and in Christ, we're going to smell like him. And we're going to do what he wants us to do by faith in doing the works he calls us to do. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for this congregation today and for their hearts, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that they have this desire in their hearts with you in their hearts to do the work. Lord, today, again, we can't say enough about the wonderful men and women who believed in America and the American way of life and the freedoms that we have that put their lives on the line. Even though they were scared, they were afraid, they did it to bring us freedom. And we thank you, Christ, that you were on the cross and suffered the pains of hell for us so that we could have eternal life. And we thank you for that faith that saves us. Help us to exhibit that true saving faith in all that we do and the people around us, the ones that we love and we show them who you really are through our own lives, Jesus. Help us to be the Bible that these people read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And we'll sing our closing song. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. See.